This is a HeadGum Podcast. While Andrew and Craig believe the joy of discovery is crucial to enjoying any well-told tale, they will not shy away from spoiling specific story beats when necessary. Plus, these are books you should have read by now. Yard, I had a great time in Boston. I am not doing this with you. <laughs> welcome. Wait, welcome. Mm, welcome to Overdue. This is a podcast about the books that you've been meaning to read. My name is Craig. My name is Andrew. And clearly nothing about my our trip to Boston has lingered on me. Uh, probably because as of this recording, it hasn't happened yet. Yeah. Ooh, we're like recording from across time. Michael J. Fox over here, time traveling. Yeah, so like there's a there the traditional improv rule is yes and and I just invented a a new one called eh, no. <laughs> yeah. I'm a, personally I'm a big fan of no go away, but yours is a little nicer. Eh, not right now. Uh, maybe later. I, uh, I have a headache. Uh, maybe later. Uh, we'll see. I'm just so tired. <laughs> that looks good for you. <laughs> So we're here to talk about books each re- each week, each week, each week. One of us reads a book and talks to the other person about it. Uh, but before we do that, we talk about the author or whatever background is necessary. And then you, the listener, have come away from an episode learning a little bit about a book. And yeah, maybe hopefully you, you learn a little, you laugh a little, you, you love fast a forward lot. a little. Yeah, yeah. It's, hopefully it's a good time for you and for us. Um, so this week I read a book called Alias Hook by uh, Lisa Jensen, and if you have not heard of it, that's that's fine because it's a pretty recent book. It came out in 2014, and I don't think it was super high profile. Do you have the name of the person who recommended we read this? Or Pulling pull it, it up? up right now. Cool, but it's a uh, it's like an extension slash retelling of the Peter Pan story. Not really a retelling; it's an extension of the story where it it asks the question what if captain hook was okay actually yes yeah, so this was recommended to us by gloria thank you gloria one of our illustrious patreon donors and we have uh covered peter pan in some capacities before so we did peter pan and then you and i watched hook we did watch the movie hook the movie <laughs> hook was more of a retelling of the of the story yes now this is what uh the internet uh, TVTropes.org specifically refers to as like a perspective flip. So we'll get into that um, and what this book, like what about it is still Peter Pan and what about it is its own thing. I'm interested to hear about that. Yeah. Um, I also want to see if we can have a productive talk about what is and is not fan fiction. Oh, sure. Oh, I don't yeah. know if that makes <laughs> it. I feel like we do that every few months and we, one of these I still, days like, we'll I get always, there. The rule is like I never come at it having thought about it before we start recording or having done any research. So I always have like a fresh outsider's perspective. So every week is what you're saying. Mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so Jensen herself, this like novels is a relatively late career move for her, I think. Novels are. You said novels is. Oh, well, novels is. 
Um, she studied at uh, UC, I think Santa Cruz, and then ended up getting a couple film critic jobs and has written for the San Francisco Chronicle, among many other places, a place called Good Times Online, which I think she still writes there, um, reviewing film and book and books. Um, and she, I think this book in particular came out of her experience watching the 2003 adaptation of Peter Pan to film. I do um, not remember that ne- adaptation. I remember being in high school and seeing a giant poster in our movie theater for Peter Pan. So it did happen, and a man named Jason Isaacs played Hook. Now, okay. Andrew, I don't know if you know who that is. I don't really know what else he's done. Not off the top of my head, no. He is going to be in the new Star Trek show, so you will oh, know boy. him. Okay. Um, and she said that she really enjoyed his portrayal of Hook. He is very human. He is kind of even more grounded than whatever thing Dustin Hoffman was doing <laughs> uh, in terms of like a gentleman's thief kind His of was vibe. more of the like scenery chewing mustache twirling <laughs> that's, villain. That's true. Um, so we want to, um, I think we want to unpack hook a little bit before we get into this novel. And then we want to uh, talk a little bit about like villains as heroes and that tradition. You said that she, however, did, had another book in this vein. Is that right? I want to make sure She's, we don't move off from her too soon. I'm looking at her Goodreads page. Her official page is a uh, it's a Blogspot blog, mm, which mm-hmm. she's which like the last update went up on. Yesterday, Tuesday, July yeah, she's 11th, still going. It's it's very endearing to me that she's got a Blogspot blog going in 2017. Sure, That's, it's been a theme the last couple of weeks. Yeah. Um, but she yes, yeah, she, she says on her Goodreads page that she has a novel called A Beast: A Tale of Love and Revenge, which she describes as a radical retelling of Beauty and the Beast. That comes out in uh, March 2018. Okay. Well, do you want to choose an adventure, Andrew? Do you want to talk about Hook, or do you want to talk about these types of books first? I feel like we should talk about these types of books Great. first, because Hook, the Hook talk segues more naturally into the book. So I described this last week as a sort of Wicked meets Peter Pan. <laughs> yeah, Because sure. I think that's a pretty high-profile example of what we're talking about. Yeah, here. Like, so what Andrew's referencing is the book Wicked by Gregory Maguire, which was like yeah. a retelling of the Oz story. And it may be more famous in its musical form. I, yeah. yeah, when I saw the musical, so I saw the musical in high school. I had um, never seen the musical or read the book, so uh, I just know the poster. It's it's a decent musical. I think there are parts about it that are really memorable. I think there are parts about it that are very flawed and uh, don't get our friend Steve the voice of the opening of the show started about the Stephen Schwartz instrumentation because it's not great. Um, <laughs> but that is a, like, we took the bad person from the original story and we created a new story about that person as if they were the protagonist. Maybe they're misunderstood. Yeah. Maybe there were forces at work that we just didn't know about because we were Dorothy's friends. 
Um, there's like a whole. He, yeah, the other thing that they optionally do sometimes is what if the people you thought were the good guys were actually also jerks? Yeah. And I'm not sure if Wicked does that or not. Wicked does not do that explicitly. Wicked uh, creates a bunch of jerks that turned the Wicked Witch into the Wicked Witch. And then like Dorothy like kind of passes through that story. Okay, um, but whole... she's not she's not reframed in like sinister terms or anything like that, right? No, no, not explicitly, and certainly not oh, in the okay, musical. Okay. Um, Maguire has kind of made a career off of doing this. He has a Snow White retelling called Mirror Mirror. He has a Cinderella uh, retelling about one of the stepsisters, and I think those stories a lot of the times, and and maybe we'll get into this with Alias Hook, is this idea that like, what if the, but like. The bad guy could have been a good guy. Like, mm-hmm. what happened? And I guess to a lesser extent, the Star Wars prequels are like this, but, like, nobody wanted those, so I don't. <laughs> uh, we covered a book called Grendel many moons ago that is, like, it's the Beowulf story from the perspective of Grendel, uh, the monster. That, I don't know, is as easy a comparison because that author, like, deliberately just put Sartre inside of a monster and had him talk for like 200 pages. Okay. It still works sort of. There there's like who who is a monster? How is humanity monstrous? Why does this monster care about them kind of thing? Like it's not ex- it doesn't work exactly the same way because it's that book was way more philosophical than these kind of plots that for me, and let me know what you think about this, Andrew. I, my theory about why these books are interesting or exciting are the way in which, and it doesn't always have to be a villain because other books do this as well. Other stories do this, but the way in which they both deviate from and like either like slide through or bump up against parts of a very familiar story. Yeah, that's that's the most interesting part of this book. And and when it's done well, I think it's like it is interesting to see how things can be like like this book is pretty faithful, I think, overall to the characterization of Peter Pan and of Hook that people are familiar with. But the perspective you're getting it from like recasts it all in in a totally different light. And then the way that the way that she works in like elements of the of the Peter Pan story. So like the crocodile and the fairies and the the Indian tribe. When I say Indians instead of Native Americans, because this book uses it. Yeah, it does. I remember that. That is I mean the original book used it, but the, this one which came out two, three yeah. years ago also okay. uses it. So it's 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 lampshade a little bit. We can talk about that a little bit more. Okay. But um yeah, she's not really changing a ton, but she is building on it in like compatible ways and then also just kind of flipping it. So yeah. you're looking at it through different eyes, which is which is pretty cool when it's when it's executed well. Yeah, like other good examples like Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead is basically this for Hamlet, except instead of like the villain, it's like what if we took side characters and made them really important? And, like, the play kind of travels through Hamlet a little bit. I think Margaret Atwood wrote a retelling of the Odyssey that's all about Penelope, um, which could be cool. I haven't read that. Um, and this, oh, yeah, like, I think we have, we've had that suggested that before, yeah, I think. Sure. Yeah, but it was, it's so long since we'd read any myth stuff that I think it's, it's faded into the 
yeah obscurity of some google Docs somewhere and it's and it's not all all of this is like similar to any of the stories that we've read for the show like i'm thinking till we have faces that like remix a myth a little bit or reappropriate a myth or a fairy tale except this one it sounds like is far more explicitly saying like here is a fully coherent narrative let me just like move the camera right and like get inside a different person's brain yeah like there there is there's that though it also does take place like way after the like the canonical peter pan story in time Mm -hmm. now since it's neverland and things don't change like by design a lot of stuff is exactly the same as it was okay okay but um but yeah that's it's mostly just the perspective shift well and a sort of a recasting of hook as a tragic figure and peter as a not unsympathetic but much more villainous sort of figure sure okay uh let me can i hit you with some hook facts and then we'll take our break before you dive into the book yeah do it set the hook (laughs) okay uh so we know that captain hook was originally in the play of like peter pan that jm barry wrote um he is black he is written as blackbeard's bosun or his boatswain or so he he knew the actual pirate blackbeard yeah that's Um, true in this book he is afraid of his own blood and he's afraid of the crocodile that ate his hand um now that the second thing is true in this book but there's a twist which i can tell you about now or later i don't Um, really care a fun fact i didn't really know is that in the original stage production uh george de maurier who was playing george darling the father of the darling family actually lobbied to play hook that's actually the father of the woman daphne de maurier who wrote rebecca which is cool um but that kind of double casting of darling the dad and hook has happened a bunch ever since mm-hmm. um the disney hook was the one that like played up the cartoon literally ha- villain angle um uh, making him funnier for kids uh the the story department referred to him as a f- as a fop yet very mean to the point of being murderous this combination of traits should cause plenty of amusement whenever he talks or acts um, they like made him deliberately childish and like have temper tantrums so that he could be like evil and want to kill people, but also like make kids laugh. <laughs> so that's a fine line to walk. Yeah. And I, think, I think a lot of kids <laughs> villains can get there, but I, I I'm thinking in my head, mostly like, they have to like you have to walk that line. Like if you're talking about a Pixar movie or something, they have to be yeah. competent enough to be scary, but not enough to actually successfully kill anybody. Sure, I I feel like someone needs to like mash up the faces of Scar, uh, Jafar, and uh, Hook, and just see how similar those images are. I you feel think like... they all have like DreamWorks face, except it's like yeah. Disney villain face. Yeah, I think they have Disney villain face. Um. Uh, we talked about Hook. We talked about the 2003 film, Jason Isaacs. Uh, and then the last reference to Hook that I want to mention is there's a very successful play with music that came out of a book by... Uh, you mean like a musical? No, no. It's technically... Re- it's written as a play with music where like there's like some pirates that perform songs, but it's huh. mostly a play um, called Peter and the Starcatcher uh, that's been making the rounds where it's like a prequel that... Uh, I think Dave Barry, like the comic writer, the guy who writes funny books, wrote, mm-hmm. um, and that that 
has Hook as the character Blackstash, which is what Pan refers to him as, and he's like a very operatic poetic figure who often like falls on his face. Um, so that that does a different riff on Hook as this kind of like uh, tragic comic figure where like he's always going to be the bad guy and he can't help it and he has to play that role up but he's entirely dependent on pan to be that person yeah and then this book touches a lot on like the symbiosis and the tragedy is definitely there and uh, but it's just what if you had to do that for like 250 years Ooh, ooh. so uh yeah there are a bunch of little twists so um we should take a break yeah. And then we can dig into some of this stuff a little bit further. Sounds good to me. So if you don't want to host your website on Blogspot, like that's it's a <laughs> okay. valid decision okay, sure. you could make, but if you don't want to, I think we would suggest you host it with our friends at Squarespace. Yeah, now big thanks to one of our sponsors this week, Squarespace. So uh, it is time, Andrew, to turn your cool idea into a hot new website. It's summer. <laughs> you should do it. You can make your website about whatever you want. You the can copy sh- is summer themed this week. That's true. By the way. <laughs> you could make a splash with your brand new website for your business. Mm-hmm. Um, you could, you could have your readers surf to your blog. Sure, that's pretty good. Do you have any more? Do you have anything like with palm trees or anything? Um, you could use throw... use your palms to wave <laughs> hello to your new website. Um, Squarespace lets you create beautiful websites to showcase your work, publish blog posts or other content, uh, sell products and services of all kinds, uh, promote your physical or online business, and all kinds of other stuff. They do this by giving you beautiful templates created by world-class designers. I think they just added some new ones recently. Oh, cool. So uh, even if you have checked out Squarespace and you haven't really found something that really spoke to you, you could you should go back and, and check it out again, see if see if they've added anything that's that you like. Um, everything's optimized for both like desktops and for phones and tablets and stuff right out of the box. They have cool, responsive design. Um, they'll let you, uh, buy domains really easily and seamlessly. They give you analytics so you can tell who's coming to your website, where they're coming from, how long they're staying there. And, um, it's free secure hosting that you never have to patch or upgrade. Yeah. I love that part. Like we were just talking about like recording software and there's other software that you and I use. That's like whether or not we're using the right version. Squarespace does not care. Squarespace Squarespace don't care. They don't care. And if you do run into problems, you probably won't. But if you do, they have 24 seven award winning customer support that we have availed ourselves of many times. Plenty of people use Squarespace, including furniture makers, wedding professionals, record labels, hair, makeup artists, coaches, (laughs) gamers wait does that one just say hair <laughs> it just says hair what does that mean <laughs> lawyers interior designers <laughs> furniture sports teams plenty of people including your favorite book podcast use squarespace uh to make their websites so you can check squarespace out at squarespace.com you can register your domain name you can start your free website or online store trial whatever you want to do and when you're ready to launch use the offer code overdue to save 10 percent it's not eight. It's not nine. It's ten percent. Squarespace. Make a website. Andrew, Andrew, breaking news. 
What is it? What we, now? We just returned. God, I can't do any more. Like, my watch buzzes me like three times a day with new breaking news. So, like, what? I've got a leak for you. We just, oh, no. We just did one live show, and we're doing another one. Oh, no. It's in Philadelphia this time. We're going from Beantown to Old Town. Actually, Old City. That's what it's called. We're going to be at the Kitchen Table Gallery at 5 p.m. on July 23rd. That's a Sunday uh, as part of Philly Podfest. It's free. You can come check us out. Hang out with us. Andrew's going to be talking about Anna Green Gables. Yeah. And uh, I mean, if it, if it is what it sounds like, I love it, especially <laughs> later in the summer. I can't wait to see you all there. I hope you make it. I hope you make it too. So yeah, that's part of the Philadelphia Podcast Festival. What's the venue's name? I keep forgetting. Kitchen Table Gallery. If you need Kitchen a ref- table gallery. If you need a refresher, go to phillypodfest.com. And we also have more info up on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash overdue pod. So uh, we hope to see you there. Hardy har hard. Poop decks and stuff. Andrew, talk to me about this pirate book. All right. Well, what do you, what do you want to know? I guess we should. I, wanna, unpack I kind of want to know cook first. What but. happens, or or really like what is the setup for this book? Does it begin in a different spot? Like it obviously doesn't begin with like kids getting abducted by Peter Pan. So who is Hook? Does it start like hundreds of years in the past? What's the deal? It starts in like the 1950s oh. and that's that in the book that is present day, like just post World War Two. OK, but still in like the modern era, more or less. Um, We so we spend the entire book in Hook's head. OK, Whoa. so we never like we only ever see kids from his perspective. OK, Um, and we are starting out. It's probably a couple hundred years after after what we think of as like the Peter Pan story. So like if you've ever seen any of the movies, probably if you've read the book, like it's, this is all happening much, much after that, but it's still all pretty familiar. Okay. Um, We are, we are, we open pretty much on hook, like cleaning up another mess, like just after Peter Pan has been there and like had his way with, with hook and his crew. So, the thing you need to know about Hook is that he is immortal. Oh. He can die, but he doesn't stay dead. Oh. And he has that died many, like many. It sucks. He has died many, many times, but he always comes back. Ooh. Even though okay. like his his wounds don't heal though. So like he has a bunch of scars and he's his still his hand is still missing. But they so they like heal, but he has a bunch of scars from like all the times that he's been killed. Okay. So that's fun. Um but the the other, the like the the big, I don't know if this isn't a twist. I don't think, but the the big thing I think that this adds to the mythology is it talks about the people who serve under Hook. Yeah, how does that work? Are they so, like, immortal? Initially, the, like the first pirate crew that that is in Neverland with him was the crew who he was actually a pi- a pirate with, like a real world pirate boy in the golden age of pirates. Yeah, like in the 1700s or whenever that okay, was. Sure. Um but they are not immortal. They die when boys kill them. Oh no. And so the crew gets restocked and What? <laughs> okay. Where the do they come that, from? 
So like spawn the... tickets? Like does he just have dudes like filling his multiplayer lobby of no. boys who want to be pirates? It's not not that. So Uh-oh. all the so you know how Lost Boys come into Neverland. That's true. Yes, they do. Uh huh. Um, they come into Neverland and then eventually they all leave again. Eventually, eventually to go, go back to the real world. And grow yeah, up. yeah. But a lot of the times, the people who come into Neverland in the first place, they aren't like super well adjusted or like super equipped to exist in the world. So what happens is they go out, they grow up. And then the real world sort of starts to close in on a lot of them. Like oh, they're no. they're they fall back on lives of crime or they just don't have a lot of like loved ones, like a lot of attachments. And so they like come back to Neverland as grown ups and exist as Captain Hook's pirates. So they leave where Neverland they, then, they as... leave, they grow up, they come back, they die, and you they re- repeat. They leave as lost boys, they come back as lost men. Yeah, but still kind of boys because like they don't really remember much about their lives before. And the thing like they are not grown ups insofar as they don't have like complex emotional responses to things like they are just as they are just as excited to get into a fight with Peter Pan and his boys as the boys are to get in a fight with some pirates, you know? Okay, sure. So that's like the big that I guess let's talk about that up front because that is really depressing. That's really and like is Hook forming emotional attachments to these no. boy men? No. Did he learn not to or did he never ever? He has learned not to, yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, that seems like it, that like, would he, suck real hard. He know like these men come back and all they want is a leader, like somebody to tell them what to do. Because Pan won't take them back because he hasn't like grown ups, but they are like coming back to Neverland, kind of looking for that relationship that they had before, where they were just carefree and innocent. God, and this sounds like the worst college reunion. Like all these kid, like these boys were hanging out and they had good times with Pan, and then they all leave, and then they come back and like, oh yeah, let's let's do like the old times. Let's go on raids and stuff. Oh, you're dead now. Oh, I'm dead now. The See new boys. Later. The new boys killed the you. The new boys. The the best and brightest killed us here at Pan University. So we come into this universe and we are we you basically you pretty quickly get the impression that things haven't really changed. Like the story has repeated itself many, many, many times. Sure. Like the basic scaffolding of the hook story just happens over and over and over again but it has happened a lot of times so like the main change to hooks like psychological state at this point is that he is so so tired of this and he just wishes he could actually die and be done with it now how does that manifest when like pan actually shows up is was there like a uh, going through the motions, I guess I try to stab you. Kind I mean, of. He does, his like blood gets all worked up, and he's like, "This time, maybe I'll get him." This okay. time, and then okay. it just never works out that way. And he dies, and he wakes up, and he's like Tom Cruise in that in that Edge of Tomorrow movie. Yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> Video games, the movie written by Bill yeah. K. Dick. Yeah, of course. Uh-huh. So, so he so like that's the that's the foundation of of the world that we're coming in. Okay, I think. Now is Hook like, but he's an adult man. Like he did not. He was never an immortal lost boy. No, right. 
Right. So how does that change? Does that change his view of just Neverland at all? Well, so he's not. He has not grown up in so far as as a man in the real world. He d- was not one to like deal with his. He doesn't have problems a or like or interface with his emotions at all. Like he wasn't. He was not like a lost boy, but he was kind of in a state of arrested development of sorts. So in the early parts of the book, you do some jumping back and forth. You're in Neverland in like the present day. And then you are back in the real world in like the 1700s when he is a kid and he's growing up. And he's got he's got what I would say is a fairly boilerplate, tragic hero makeup deal like he has a dad whose approval he always wanted but could never get okay cool Um, so he goes off to be a pirate then he well he's like taken prisoner for a little bit like he is he really likes his his dad owns like a shipping concern so he's pretty well off he likes to go off and carouse with women and and like mess around on the high seas sometimes yeah he's all he's always liked boats even though his dad wishes he would just settle down and be a shipping guy <laughs> welcome to miami bienvenido ami ami oh my god um and at some at, at some point in some war in the 1700s sometime and like i don't know which one it is like <laughs> they just had so many it's of not them. the revolution we're pre-revolutionary war it's a, yeah so i guess from this our is american-centric the... view of history i'm looking say. i'm looking at the date line so he's like a five or six year old in 1688 and oh dear okay by the time he is gets stuck in neverland he's like 40 ish so okay. we're talking like really early 18th century 1720s yeah sure sure, sure. yeah okay. um so yeah like as a young man he is imprisoned by the french for a couple years and then by the time he gets out he has been accused of crimes that he didn't commit his like mom and dad have both died so he doesn't really have a chance to clear his name and his fiance who he was betrothed to has like not really waited around for him because she thinks he's a criminal so like i get it i get yeah. why you wouldn't why you wouldn't keep a candle lit for this this guy yeah okay it um, sounds like a little monte cristo ish a little Les Miserables, but Maybe. yeah, sure. Um, so he, in a sort of murderous rage, takes to a life of piracy because okay. like the world has hurt him and he has nowhere else to go, so he's gonna hurt it back. Yeah, and he's just like plundering for the sake of plundering a lot and and doing all that stuff. And then one day he gets hurt and he ends up on this island with this woman named Proserpina. And she like heals him and they fall in love, but he is not willing to like admit that he loves a woman in front of his pirate men. And oh, he, like, boy. and he makes her really mad. And so she curses him and then he and he and his crew end up in Neverland and they just can't get out. Oh, nothing like a woman scorned, I guess. Yeah. Am I right? Whoa. Ugh, don't get in a fight with your wife, guys. <laughs> I mean, I guess the lesson is actually like be upfront about your feelings in front of your like fellow mates. No, nah, like, don't uh, don't make your woman mad, or she'll curse you to live in an island forever. <laughs> Whoa, that's. Are you on the Kings of Comedy tour? Like, what are you doing? <laughs> you better take her shopping, or she'll curse you forever. <laughs> 
I I really does the book get to like a woke feminist hook because that would be pretty dope. I'm, I'm not here for that. Not exactly. No, oh. I'm I am I am performing my new character Johnny Red Pill, <laughs> who spends a lot of his time on Reddit. So like, oh, no, I hate him already. <laughs> okay, so, uh, so this that, is so that we're still in like, hooks past. But now he's been cursed that's, to Neverland. That's all of his past that you get. Like it's it's it. Oh, in like the first third or first half of the book, like after that, the flashbacks stop happening. I have a question. Yo, uh, so he is cursed to Neverland in the 18th century. Yeah. When does Pan show up? Because Pan was there already. Whoa. Neverland okay, so- exists because of like you get toward the very very end of the book, you get a snippet of what Neverland is and like why it exists. And it's because at some point, at some unspecified point in the past, a little boy who's, who hated grownups wanted to go somewhere where he could just be a kid forever so much that they created this like Island around him. And that's just, and and he can never leave. Like he Uh. alone can never, ever leave. But, and and that's like the price that that he pays for that. Okay. So, so like, Peter's not untragic, but mostly he's a jerk, <laughs> a creepy little wiener. So does the book line up with any of the actual events of Peter Pan or Peter and Wendy, or does it kind of skip over those to do like the backstory and then jump to like its new stuff? It mostly skips over them. Now you do get like you you get bits of the first pirate crew. Like you get a, the bit where Hook's hand gets cut off, and that's where he really like he's like, man, this boy is not screwing around, huh? <laughs> I, um, I was just gonna you... play, spend eternity just kind of like playing around with this kid, and then he cut my hand yeah. off. Like all the all the girls who filter in and out over the years, he just refers to them all collectively as Wendy's. Oh, their names. Their names are not all Wendy, but that's like that is the role they are always playing. That's it, is like if you had a really crappy roommate and you just like never cared to learn anything about their friends, or just if you, if you, it's not like possessive Wendy's. It's like if you had a bad roommate named Tony, yeah, and he was so bad that it turned you off roommates forever, and so every time. You heard about a bad roommate after that. You're like, oh, you guys, he sounds like a real Tony. Or you couldn't like be friends with Tonys anymore either because you just assumed that they were bad roommates. Sure, that could also be the case. Okay. So so jump ahead to, I guess, the, the pr- quote-unquote present day of this book then if it's going to skip over the Wendy stuff. what What is happening in 1950 that that's why this book is set there? Uh, so something's, something's amiss in Neverland. Like, so Peter's pretty much got the run of the place. Like, he controls what grows where, and he has the last word over pretty much everything. Okay. Um, let's talk about like. So there are elements of the of the book that are in here. Like, the crocodile is in here, and he's sort of a spy slash enforcer for Peter Pan. Okay. Um, are mermaids in there? Mermaids are here. They are sort of mysterious creatures who are not, they're not really allied with either the boys or yeah. the pirates. Uh-huh. But um, they like, like for them and for the fairies and to a, to a lesser extent for the, um for the Indian tribe. God. um, 
Neverland, like Neverland is a play. They kind of tolerate Peter's whims and, and encourage Neverland to continue existing because it also provides a kind of haven for them from the real world. Like they are mostly creatures who could or did exist in the real world or still do, but like hide. And this is like a protected place. So like, mermaids come to neverland they basically come here to to have babies it's like salmon swimming upstream or something oh, okay <laughs> because this is a it's a haven where all the like modern technology and the new ships and, and stuff on the sea like can't bother them oh sure okay uh, so yeah. yeah the mermaids are here fairies are here they kind of work to protect the boys and to preserve their innocence because even though they do kill people like they don't know they don't know what they're doing because they're boys. No one's mourning anything. People, yeah, are just, pretty much. Yeah, and like the pirate, the pirates aren't innocent because they've come here and they're adults and they like technically should know what they're doing. So they and don't get like fairies to protect them, but the boys get fairies to protect. The them. boys are just playing pirate Call of Duty, aren't they? They just don't. Yeah, just like forever and ever. The creepy, <laughs> the creepiest thing about Peter Pan is in this book he is like an eleven or twelve year old, so like prepubescent, but still like. Old enough to know, old enough to almost be pubescent. Yeah, and and so he's like not a little kid, but he still has all of his baby teeth. Ew. And so when the book, whenever the book talks about him like smiling or whatever, he's like got an almost like adolescent face, but he's just got little creepy baby teeth in there. And that's the most, I feel like that's the most effective thing she does to make Pan like grotesque. (laughs) Is to just give him baby teeth. That's so really. I feel like I remember that from Peter Pan, but it was certainly not played. But it up. was not played up as something that was like, Ew. yeah. Oh no, no. And it's definitely play. It's definitely played for Ew, in this book. Cool, because he's like smiling all the time while he's being a jerk. I guess. Yeah, but and he's also like super malevolent and and capricious and impulsive and. Okay. Yeah, like so in in that way his his character is actually pretty consistent between the two things, but in this one he's not like the brave leader of a pack of adventurous boys. He's like an a you know that age that some kids get to where they like think they're funny but they're not and like how annoying they are to deal with at that age. Yeah, so Lord, I've talked about this. Um That's pretty much the age Peter is at. There is like a part of me that uh if and when we have children, I feel like I'd be more comfortable with having daughters just because, like, I I just feel like I'm comfortable with how unpredictable that is. And, like, I'm know- saying women are unpredictable and capricious. No, and just that, like, I don't know how I'm, and- no, I don't know how I'm going to react to it. Like, I'm comfortable. What if they're with on that. their period and you don't know oh what they're going to do? God, <laughs> Johnny Redpill, get out of my podcast. <laughs> Um, I'm not saying yes and to you. Go away. Um, no, it's like I, in my experience as like a summer camp teacher and stuff, like I, 
little like little boys they can be fun like they're they're rambunctious they can have a good time until they hit like six or seven and then i think they're really obnoxious and dumb (laughs) and then i want to hang out with them again like after they come back from college probably yeah like so that's that's where peter is (laughs) peter is smack in there where he's just like super tiresome oh god i and he hasn't really like he hasn't really learned how to have empathy for anybody (laughs) or consider the consequences of his actions or anything like that to live the consequences of his actions there's so a reason why the darlings yeah. are always the main character of these stories because like those are kids who experience time and like peter doesn't and he frustrates them yeah and even even in the barry novel like growing up is not presented as an inherently bad thing like the kids all come back at the end yeah because the story the story is like Let's go live in a place where growing up doesn't happen and like how that could be fun for a while until it was weird and sad. And then we come home. Yeah. And so in this, in this book, most of what you get is weird and sad. Peter. <laughs> God. Weird, sad, creepy baby teeth, Peter Pan. So does like what is Hook's arc in this story? If he can't die and he can't rid himself of Peter you said that something is different. What's changing? Okay, so yeah, so Hook is he whose whose full name is James Benjamin Hookbridge. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but um he's you know, he's fully hook and has been hook for a very long time. He's tired of this whole thing. Okay. And so out of the blue comes this grown up woman named Stella Parrish. And like lot so Lost Boys come back a lot of the time. Wendy's never come back. Oh, okay. And so Neverland, just like grown-up women don't go here. They don't even go here. No girls allowed. No girls allowed. Um, and and yeah, Pan, Pan finds her off-putting. Like there are things happening in Neverland that he's not really in control of, and he's irritated by that. And Hook is just intrigued by her because, I, because it's different. And he's like... At this point, he's looking around and kind of wishing, like, what is what is a way I can get out of this? Like, I have done this many, many times. What like anything that's different is he's going to latch on to as like, maybe this is my chance to get out. Sure, sure. That makes sense. And um, so over time, like, I guess I'll spoil just the whole thing because we're. Yeah. Tell um, me the story. I want to know the story. So Hook and Stella get to know each other. Um, they don't trust each other for a while at the beginning, but then they come to trust each other. And then he starts like getting attached to her, which is like, as we discussed before, not something that he has let himself do with anybody because he knows everyone's going to leave or everyone's going to die. And he just has to be here forever. And it's easier not to have any sort of emotional attachment. to. On the last time he thought about it, he wasn't honest about it. and He got cursed to live with a baby teeth boy forever. So yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> He's learned his lesson. <laughs> Um, and and so while this is happening, like he is also getting these like sort of, he's like having these dreams and seeing these sort of omens that are telling him like, you have, like you have a chance to get out, but like, this is your last chance. Okay. Like, this is the last time you, we're going to let you try and do this. Oh. And so it comes to light that, um, Proserpina's curse is not. It was not meant to be like a forever 
suffering, tormenting sentence. Like he was supposed to go to Neverland. He was supposed to learn his lesson and like break out of his cycle. And he was supposed to come back Uh ideally while she was still alive. And so like he did not figure that out, Uh but he is like with Stella's help coming to like, what is the lesson he's learning? The the lesson is, is to like to deal with the consequences of your actions, just to, to think about things. So like she is like Peter Pan is a boy. And so he is obsessed with getting his way. He is obsessed with like having a fair fight. And so there are a couple times where Peter and his boys come to the ship and through Stella's influence, Hook is like, you know what? I don't want to play today. I'm just, I'm not interested. Ooh. And because he is not interested, Peter doesn't think it's a fair fight. And he and all the boys get very frustrated and go away. But because the pirate, are also mostly boys like they also start getting like very mutinous so it's not a thing where like Hmm. they view this they view this non-aggression as a winning strategy like they get mad about not being able to fight too yeah but like he is he is starting to mature beyond that and like realize that there are other ways to solve your issues with the world other than getting mad at it you know yeah okay not being just a baby teeth boy and like not just pirating things, right? <laughs> um, but what's okay? So what is Stella like? Like, what's her deal? She is in her late thirties. She has had a lot of tragedy in her life. So she was married to a man who died in the First World War. Um, she was pregnant, but um, I believe I think had it premature and lost the baby like okay. pretty shortly after she birthed. It wasn't like a miscarriage deal. It was a, it was a like, like a infant come, comes issue. out yeah. alive for a few minutes and that like a long enough to form a bond that will never ever leave her mind and then awesome. she like okay. died. So she's like she is in a position where she kind of is mad at the world and. And um, one of the interesting things that the book that the book does is like J.M. Barry's Peter Pan book exists in the real world. Oh, weird! And so, like people who leave Neverland don't remember much about it except kind of in dreams. So, what you're getting through Barry, who apparently loved Peter Pan, is um, a very like sympathetic, flattering, half-remembered portrait of everything that goes on. That's kind of how Hook handles it, right? Like Hook is this idea that like the book is really literally what happened and some of these characters were there. Yes. Yeah, okay. Of. Okay. That's, I like that. That's cool. That's a good way to handle it. Um, but where hook is like, what if Peter Pan left and grew up? This is like, um, what a- if Ali- alias yeah. hook is like, what if captain hook just like was over it? <laughs> what if he was just <laughs> over the whole thing? Okay. Um, so Stella, how did Stella end up there? So she, yes, yeah, she she was upset at the world. She was like obsessed with Barry's story and with Neverland and with and with Peter Pan and everything. And so she kind of ended up there through the same avenue that a lot of the Lost Boys ended up there. Mm-hmm. But um, she also ended up there because Hooks wanting an out was like, like, like that's the first step. Her. That's the first step on his journey as a character is to want to be done with it in the okay. first place. Okay. And so that, that in part like summons her to, to Neverland and kicks off all these, all these events. So, 
I'm not going to go blow by blow into everything. I don't think I do. I want to talk about the Indians real quick. Okay. Um, only to say like one, there is an implication that sometimes lost boys come back, but they're not like, they don't want to be like murderous pirates. And so sometimes they just join up the Indian tribe. Now I could be misreading that, but I think that's like, Oh, there's okay. So, there's another so, faction like, for them to go to. Well, and yeah. And then this way, like, in in the same way that Neverland is a refuge of sorts for like the fairies and for the mermaids, like it's it's sort of a refuge for these people too. That that was my read of the situation. Okay. And also part of the reason why they are horrible racist stereotypes is because Peter Pan is a like eleven or twelve year old boy from a million years ago and that's how he wants them to be, so that's how they are. Yeah, that that was the implication. I even remember from Barry is that like this made up world is like sort of spawned out of Peter's head anyway. Right. Though I don't, I don't think like the, the, how bad it is to call native Americans Indians and to have them all like smoking peace pipes and whatever the dumb crap that he has them doing. I don't, I don't think that was like at the forefront of his mind. It's a little more explicit here. Yeah. Still like kind of racist. Yes, but and walk, and, and then you're like walking a line between like, is this a racist thing to do, or am I like, d- is it okay because I've said that it's racist? <laughs> like that. Yeah, like I yeah, I come I down know. on the I come down on the side of what like what she's doing in acknowledging it and making it part of the mythology makes it okay for me. But I also recognize like I am a cis white guy yeah, sure. and my opinion on this matters perhaps the least of anybody's opinion on this. Sure. But it, so, yeah, but, but that's my read on the, on the situation. Okay. Okay. Cool. Um, um sure. So yeah. So, what else so, do you um, talk so you want to mention the Indians. What else do you want to talk about? As we're we're like looking at winding down eventually. Yeah, but. there's like there's a bit of stuff I don't think totally works where like Stella comes into Neverland and is innocent and nobody who's innocent can get killed in Neverland. And so like Pan is trying to execute her <laughs> because she doesn't belong and he doesn't like her and he kind of blames her for the weird stuff that's happening. But if she were to die, like the whole thing would disappear. So that's like for a little yeah. while, that's like the the impetus for Hook trying to to save her because he's got like a tenuous alliance with the with the Indian tribe. And I don't know, like I and then he and Stella like fall in love and they start boinking. Whoa. And because this is an adult fairy tale, as her it bio is, it has is an me. adult fairy tale, and and then in the end, like through the power of love, they escape. Oh, okay. Through the power of love, and with the help of a fairy who turns out to have been Hook's fairy all the time, but he was just never ready for it. Oh, like his Tink. Yeah. Oh, the that's the funny kinda... thing is that Tinkerbell exists in this world, but like Peter was so demanding that he like added a hundred years to her life, and oh, now no. there's another fairy that's watching over Peter <laughs> instead. <laughs> is pretty funny okay um yeah that's that's i think that's most of the book like so there are the there are two books here i think one is like one is adding on to the peter pan myth and expanding characters and reinterpreting stuff that that happens in the original story sure that is the more interesting of the two the other half of it is is more like straight romance slash adventure novel. That part I was a little less enamored with. I think it feels a little generic and flat. 
that's a fine line to walk though right because like oh it's it super is it super is and I, i'm not saying that 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 no, needs to be everybody's read on the book and i like the the parts i liked i really did like i really thought the stuff that she did with like where do hooks pirates come from like she does make peter sort of deeply tragic because he like he has to deal with like losing all of his lost boys like one after the other and just he keeps moving forward and and being himself because that's how he avoids dealing with it because if his innocence is never lost then neverland is also lost and yeah so like that's that's he's always- mostly a creep but that's like the seed of like hook for a minute feel sorry for peter and that's part of his like growing up like hooks growing up arc yeah i mean that gets back to something that we were saying at the top of the show of that like part of the one of the reasons that stories like this these kind of perspective flips and like remix kind of ideas are satisfying is that they like provide a cool new context for uh, a story we already know or they and and certainly in this case like provide some fun answers to questions that the previous like the source text didn't really care about like i like the original pan as i recall it like is really kind of loosey-goosey with some of its rules like it doesn't really care and to like you can't do this book if you're not going to grapple with at least a couple of the rules because that's really what you're writing about like that's what you're interested in is like the ramifications of, oh, I wonder if it works like this. Wow, that would mean X, Y, and Z. Like that would yeah. mean Hook feels this way. That would mean Pan feels this way. Yeah, this this does some grappling with the rules. It does some grappling with the idea that, that Pan needs and is defined by Hook and like that classic Joker Batman sort yeah, of. Yeah, yeah. They've got that sort of relationship. That's a, that's a thing that a lot of the Pan kind of ancillary material grapples with is like why else would it work this way um but it so you said it kind of the stuff where it just needs to be like a she's coming up with what is essentially raw material of stella hook and pan that is perhaps not like bad but the the least successful for you as a reader just it just there are big sections of it that just devolve into harlequin romance and uh, and um like sort of generic swashbuckling adventure kind of stuff like the action sequences usually lost me like i oh okay i feel like she didn't do a great job with communicating like the space that the characters were moving in if that makes sense interesting like i like okay. i didn't have a i i didn't have a vivid sense of like where everybody was and what everybody was doing like it it didn't it something about it didn't flow quite right yeah i some, think some sometimes for me that works like okay this is a odd comparison i guess but like there are some of the tolkien fights and battle sequences where like i don't know where anyone is but i do know like why everybody's doing what they're doing so i can kind of ignore that like i don't have a great ground plan but i can follow emotional beats and yeah i, feel, I mean you you do get that in here but it's just not i don't think it's as strong it doesn't doesn't carry yeah, keep, the water yeah keep what were you what were you saying well, i was just I gonna know. say i feel like in some just kind of straightforward either like thriller books that i've read um it can get it in the interest of like 
making sure you know where everybody is at the right time. Like the act, it can actually kind of obscure what is important about what you're reading and you can kind of lose the flow. Um, yeah, that's interesting. Cause it sounds like, I wonder, I wonder, I know that Jensen is a fan of swashbuckling books. I know that she's a fan of pirates. I clearly from some of the interviews that she's done, she's into hook and was inspired to write this book because of that movie she saw. Um, I wonder what, like, if she just wrote, and I don't think she has, like, if she just wrote a pirate book. I'm going to go try and find the title of it. I feel like she just wrote a straight-up pirate book once called, oh, there it is, The Witch from the Sea. Like, that's not a remix on anything. That's just a swashbuckling historical novel. So yeah. I, I don't know. I wonder how that would feel because she's not, like, bumping into this other thing that we're familiar with. Yeah, I mean, so it's part of the reason that these stories get written sometimes is I think sometimes it's just easier to riff on something that exists already than it is to come up with your own thing out of thin air. Hello, or, or just this from podcast. Like, Hello, what's up? Um, <laughs> and 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 that's not to say that the that the person riffing or like the ideas come out of it that come out of it are like don't have value or, or that the person yeah. isn't talented. It just, it just, sometimes it's easier to fill in between the lines than it is to like draw the lines yourself and then fill in. Well, you know? and, and like, so the, pan is not quite a myth, but like at this point it's pretty close. Like, it, I think once you're in the public domain, you're, yeah, you're firmly a myth. And like, <laughs> like and, once you literally belong to everybody, you're now a myth. Sure. And, <laughs> There's like a, it's like a macro version of like an idiom in the way that like we have like phrases and beats that we can drop in a conversation that are like cultural shorthand for things. And stories like this and characters like this fulfill that from a like larger narrative perspective. And it allows you to like, well, but like there's this interesting thing about Hook that I think is like speaking to me right now in the turn of the, in the beginning of the 20th century about like adulthood or about, you know, knowing where your what your actions cause and do and like being comfortable with that um, or longing for a previous time before a great tragedy, which is what it sounds like Stella is dealing with. Um, and then you're like, Oh, well here's this thing that everybody knows. So like I can just kind of like, and then i've made my point like with this other story that i made um and it that's just to say like that was more interesting to you the author than like i made up all of these characters and like hope you gleaned from it the thing that i was interested in i don't know yeah yeah no i get it Um, the last thing i wanted to do real quick is read um from the Kirkus Books review, which I think is is more down on it than I am, but also presents a read on on how the book works that I think is, is oh, okay. pretty good. Um, so one thing the the reviewer complains about um, the attempt to pair modern sensibilities and an antiquated story is uneasy, as for example in continuous references to redskins, a word that was not inappropriate in Barry's time, but is quite jarring in this book. Um, In addition, Jensen has overlaid the traditions of Neverland with a curious mix of voodoo and fairy magic, adding unnecessary complications. The story veers between adherence to and departures from the original text, never finding purchase on either path. In concept, the book is thrilling and Hook and Stella are both fascinating characters, but on the page, much of the story is either flat or melodramatic. Hmm. 
I think a lot like especially people who are more intimately familiar with the original story than I am, I feel like could come away with this read on it. And I do get the flat and melodramatic part when we're talking about the straight romance and action sections. But I don't know. I, I still think and and most of the world building happens in the first half of the book. Like I've the first half went by a lot quicker for me than the second half. Oh, okay. Um, that can also make it easier to finish the rest of the book if you're already invested too. Depending. Yeah. Yeah, I can. But like the, the first half was pulling me forward because I like, she was, she was doing a really good job. Like Jensen was of filling in the gaps and coming up with new, interesting stuff. Sure. And then sure. by the time by the time you get to the back half, it's just like the it's the fulfillment of the protagonist's quest. And there was still good stuff happening and the pro still like moves along in a steady clip and it's still fine. But it just it wasn't as the part where the part where, oh, now I just have to tell you a straight story. Was yeah, less, like that. Was just that less was successful. less entertaining. But yeah, over overall, I, I enjoyed this. A lot. I don't know that I need to read like a ton of perspective flip stories, but sure, uh, I thought I sure. thought broadly this one was well done, and I think it does more than a lot of contemporary pan stories do in like fleshing things out and making and making them compelling, while also not being completely unfaithful to the subject matter. You know. Cool. Yeah, that sounds good. Thanks. Um, who did I say recommended this to us? Do you remember? No, you're the one who had it I open. It was Why'd Gloria. You close the tag, I closed it. There you go. It's Gloria, right? Yeah. Yes, it is Gloria. So thanks. Um, if you have thoughts, if you, the listener, have thoughts about this episode, you should hit us up on social media um, at facebook.com slash overdue pod or twitter.com slash overdue pod. We also have an email. That's overdue pod at gmail.com. I'm keeping it short and sweet, Andrew. So where should folks go if they want to find out more about the show? They should go to our website at overduepodcast.com. We have a bunch of links up there. We have links to subscribe to the show and a bunch of different services. We have one to our Patreon site. We have one to HeadGum, our network, and Speaker, our host. Um, if you want to this week help us out a little bit, you should uh, leave us an iTunes review. Um, it helps us rise in those rankings and it just makes us feel good about ourselves. We're also getting really close to the big 500. Woo woo! And if you know our Craig, you know he loves round numbers. So I help, love, help love. us get there. I love um, And then also, last thing to mention is again, we are doing a live show this weekend for the fifth annual Philadelphia Podcast Festival. Craig, tell them where it is and when it is and how free it is. It's super free. It's at the Kitchen Table Gallery in Old City, Philadelphia at 5 p.m. on Sunday, July 23rd. And I'm going to be reading Anne of Green Gables. Come on out. We're going to have a good time. Yeah. Um, And we'll have more about that including like directions and all that fun stuff on our Facebook page. That's facebook.com slash overdue pod. Craig, what are you reading for next week's show? I think I'm reading like water for chocolate, which cool. I'm excited about. Um, it sounds I've, like a bad trade. Whoever is getting the water in exchange for the chocolate is getting a bad trade. Yeah, we'll see. Okay. I have no idea what the book is about, so maybe that was like super bad that I, I said all that I stuff. don't think it was bad. I think we're I think I'm just okay, tired. <laughs> uh, we will hopefully see you guys at our at our many live shows in the next couple of weeks as we record this. And um, for those of you who we don't see, we will be back in your ears next Monday. Until then, try to be happy.
That was a HeadGum Podcast.